0: All right, confession time. I own, in my comic book collection, just about every issue of the comics published under the Extreme or Maximum or Awesome banner uh, put out by Rob Liefeld. That means every issue of Youngblood, every issue of Team Youngblood, every issue of Brigade, just about every issue of Bloodstrike, New Men, New Force, Supreme... It's all pretty much there. I have some holes in the runs, but more often than not, if there was a book that Rob Liefeld had a hand in back from 1992 to 1999, it is now sitting over in my closet. Do I feel bad about this? No, because it was fun putting the collection together, and while the writing and art is not always super fantabulous, you know, there's a lot of good in there. There really is. Stop looking at me that way. What have you done? Nothing. Nothing except read comic books. You also lose our jobs on account of comic books. You keep me awake every night with your bad dreams on account of comic books. They're comics, you ass! The real question is this. Are comic books good or are they not good? Tell me how comic books make you feel, Dave. Well, they not make me feel too good. For a couple of times you had come comic book, I chew up. Yeah, I'm in this alone. My whole life! every waking, sleeping, dreaming moment of my life I spent for comedy. These comic book covers that you are seeing here are a sample of what the children of the United States are reading today. This comic book describes a sexual aberration so shocking that I couldn't mention even the scientific term on television. I think there ought to be a law against them. Tonight I'm going to show you why. All kidding aside, though, I, I, I do believe that the, you know, extreme, maximum awesome books get more of a bad rap than they really deserve. And, and you know, really, I'll, I'll throw, you know, Rob Liefeld into that as well. I think Rob gets more of a bad rap than he really deserves. I mean, are, are they the greatest examples of comic books, to go a little deeper, superhero comic books ever made? No. Are there weaknesses in art and story? Yes. Uh, is it does it seem that a lot of the characters are just new versions of Marvel and DC characters? Well, in a lot of ways, yes as well. But the concepts behind them were kind of interesting, especially Youngblood. Which is why I guess, you know, that, that first miniseries being as disappointing as it was was such a huge letdown because it had a really good idea behind it and i don't think that it was ever really executed as well as it could have been but you know that that was the 90s for you i mean i i'm a big defender of the 90s but i'm also kind of a realist and i'll tell you that you know it wasn't all good and at the same time it wasn't all that bad either in any case that's beside the point you know at the end of the day one of the main reasons i have all those books is that they were incredibly incredibly cheap Holy crap! I, you know, it was almost like people were giving me money to take the books off their hands. Between the fifty cent boxes and the eBay auctions, where people were trying to get them out of their collections so they could deny ever buying them, you know, I, I made off like a bandit. And I don't think I'll ever really get rid of them either. You know, some of my comics I plan on giving to my children one day uh, if they choose to get into the hobby. It's not something I'm going to push upon them. But, if they show interest, I will you know help them out a bit, you know, with my experience as a collector and all that, which is going to be useless by the time uh, they would get into comics because I have a feeling when that happens, comics will be mostly digital with trade paperback reprints and bookstores and such and You know, as much as it pains me to say this, the comic book store may be on its last legs, which is kind of disappointing because I really like going to the shop and I like having them there and I like having people that know the product and the camaraderie of talking to my fellow fans and, you know, seeing the books on the shelves and looking through the back issues. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of starting this one off on a down note. I apologize for that. It's it's much more positive from here, I promise. Anyways, everybody, welcome back to Views from the Long Box. I am your host, Michael Bailey, and this is episode 84 of the show for May, I guess at this point, 24th, 2009. A little bit late this week. I would offer my usual apologies, but at this point, you know, it's <laughs> I'm getting these out when I can, so... <laughs> I promise. Uh, next week should be a little late as well, but I'll get into that at the end of the episode when I talk about next week's episode. Before we get into the episode at hand, though, I want to remind you that Views from Long Box is brought to you by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best source for trades Hardcovers, essentials, showcases, masterworks, omnibuses, compendiums, and other collected edition type things—all at up to 37% off with free shipping for orders $50 or more. Some of the deals you can find at In Stock Trades are *Young Blood* Volume One hardcover. Apparently, according to the little blurb that they have at In Stock Trades, this is a book we thought would never happen but this re-scripted, remastered, reimagined hardcover collects the first five issues with new dialogue by Joe Casey. Normally, this hardcover costs $34.99, but after the 37% discount, it will take about $22.04 of your hard-earned money. Also, there is Superman Ending Battle, written by Jeff Johns, Joe Casey, Joe Kelly, and Mark Schultz. The list price for this trade is $14.99, which is a pretty decent price in and of itself for 8 issues worth of material, but after the 37% discount, it is only $9.44. So for these and all of your other collected edition needs, check out InStockTrades.com and be sure to tell them that Views from the Longbox sent you. You know, I, I find it kind of interesting that they put Ending Battle in a trade paperback form. But at the same time, I'm, I'm really not surprised. Uh, there, there's two things, actually, that I find interesting about the ending battle trade. Uh, the fact, one, that it exists, because a lot of the Superman books from 2002 and 2003 after Jeff Loeb left, after they stopped doing the triangle numbering system, when Joe Casey was writing Adventures and Stephen T. Siegel was writing Superman and Joe Kelly was wrapping up his run on Action Comics, there was really no cohesion within the Superman titles. And Ending Battle, if I'm remembering correctly, was pretty much the swan song for such things it was you know the last time supposedly the last time that the superman books were going to cross over into each other and had kind of a cop-out when it came to lex Luthor finding out that clark kent was superman but you really don't see a lot of that collected i mean if you look at my bookshelf for example you know the that i have my superman trades set up in chronological order so you know i have all of the pre-crisis stuff and the golden age reprints and the archives and the chronicles, you know, in the front part of it, and then you have the Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow little prestige format reprint, and then it starts at Man of Steel number one and goes forward until you hit the Superman-Batman books and the Elseworlds, and in this particular timing of Superman, you have the six volumes of the Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly, you know, revamp era from 1999 with Emperor Joker thrown in there in chronological order when they finally put Emperor Joker out in trade paperback. And then you have Our Worlds at War, and then it goes to the Greg Rucka trades of Adventures of Superman, and then the Brian Azzarello Jim Lee for Tomorrow hardcovers and soft covers and then the Mark Verheiden, the Gail Simone, and the Chuck Austin stuff, leading to the one-year-later trade, uh, up, up, and away, and going you know, chronologically from that. And if I wanted to be technical about it, I could say that there are stories from after our worlds at war, because in the Return to Krypton trade, You have the first, Return to Krypton, and then the second one, which came after Our Worlds at War. But that is getting really nitpicky. And when have I ever been nitpicky on this show? So it's really kind of cool to see them putting some of that material out there. I, I really, as much as I dislike the Joe Casey stuff, and as much as I dislike the Stephen T. Siegel Superman issues, you know, somebody might. And for historic purposes... You know, I would like to have them in trade so I can put them on the shelf and say, hey, I own them. Uh, The other interesting thing about this trade is how large Jeff Johns' name is on the cover. I'll post this as the episode graphic for this week. (laughs) I mean, it's like Jeff Johns and the other writers in little print at the bottom. You know, it's brilliant marketing because Jeff wrote, I think, two chapters of this. But he is DC's main writer right now, and deservedly so, because I am a very big fan of Jeff Johns. I don't like every single little thing he does, but you know, consistently, I enjoy his work. And if you look at the titles I'm buying currently, about seventy-five percent of them are written by Jeff Johns. So I must like the guy on some level. <laughs> This is going to be kind of a, a different type of the solo views that I've been doing lately. I mean, I'm going to have the little features at the front, the you know, the the, the what I'm reading, the emails, the ask Mike stuff. But I don't have a main feature this week because I really didn't have time uh, during the course of the week to get one together. Uh, there were a few I wanted to do, but there was no way I was going to get the reading done in time to get a good feature together because I'm striving to make each episode better than the, the last one. And with the particular stories and such that I want to discuss, I really want to get the research done to make it as enjoyable and somewhat informative episode as possible. So all it is going to be this week is the What I'm Reading you know, a recommendation. It's not a podcast recommendation, you know, an email, and then pretty much the rest of the episode is devoted to the last week or two of the Ask Mike questions over at the Official Views Forums. Uh, I hope it comes out as a pretty decent episode. I, I think it will, though, because there were a lot of good questions over the past two weeks. I'm really happy to see that the questions are coming more frequently now because they're interesting and they will provide good episode fodder when I really don't have a main feature, like now. So let's get into it then. I actually got a lot of reading done over the last week, much more than I I thought I was going to get done, actually. I had last weekend off, and outside of popping on the computer every once in a while, I pretty much stayed in bed watching television and reading comic books. And in that time, uh, the, the the Saturday and Sunday I had off... And then the Monday that I had off by surprise, because there was a last-minute schedule change, basically, I went through about four years of Green Lantern books, starting with cover date January 1984. I you know, got through all of the Len Wein, Dave Gibbons stuff, uh, started on the Steve Englehart run, got into Green Lantern Corps... Uh, also threw in a couple other books because of the current reading project I have going on which is which is actually getting done. Uh, I, I had for a while there been putting together reading projects and not reading them or losing interest, but my interest has been held here and and I really don't want to get into the green lantern books because that's going to be the main feature. Actually it's going to be the only feature of next week's episode, but I'll get into that, you know, at the end of the show when I, you know, tell you what's coming up next. But I was actually kind of surprised I got as much reading as I have done, because for a long time there, the only place I really got a chance to read comics was at work. You know, if if when I was working at the gas station back in 2002, I would read between customers, and... You know, when I got the job at Home Depot and now I work for Office Depot, I used to read on my lunch breaks because when I get home, there are other things to do, especially now with two podcasts and reviews and other things that I do online. You know, there's usually not a whole heck of a lot of time to sit down and read. And I kind of got out of reading shape. You know, (laughs) that's the only way I can really think to describe it, is that I got used to only reading about six maybe eight books at a time and then i would go back to work so when i would be at home i would read like six to eight books at a time and then just be like i gotta go do something else right now because that was the conditioning that my brain had received so (laughs) it sounds so weird but it but but it's what happened so last weekend when i sat down and started reading i just it, it was like it was like 10 years ago again when I would sit down and read huge runs of comics at a time and just go through them, enjoying them, paying attention to them, not just skimming through them and getting to the next issue. But it's just like, you know, when, when if, if you stop going to the gym for a while, you know, it takes you a little while to get back into your exercise routine. and And for me, for some reason, it's the same way with comic books. So I also read uh, the first two issues of Shazam! The New Beginning, a four-issue miniseries by Roy and Dan Thomas, with art by Tom Mandrake, which I love. Uh, And again, I'm not really going to get into that, because that's going to be part of a future episode as well. But much reading has been done. I've been very happy about that. It's really great getting back into the swing of things as far as reading and going through going through the books as i am i actually have a feeling that this reading project won't take quite as long as i thought it was going to i thought it was going to take me like the rest of the year but uh i i, I may be putting together another one uh sooner than i think so you know more on this as it develops as as, as if what i'm reading really matters to anybody besides me but it, <laughs> but that's the show Um, I don't have any podcast recommendations this week. I do have a DVD recommendation, though, uh, if you can still find it, which I hope. And that is the Batman, the Motion Picture Anthology 1989 to 1997 8-disc box set. This puts together all four of the 80s and 90s era Batman movies into one convenient package. Now, I am not a great big fan of Batman Returns, and you know, kind of goes on a sliding scale from there. Not a really big fan of Batman Forever, though, as it was pointed out in the Bat Week episodes, I actually kind of enjoy Batman Forever a little more than Batman Returns, and Batman and Robin is just... Well, that's just uh, Batman and Robin, which has almost become synonymous with The Suck. Yeah, still like the Burton movie to a certain extent, but... What I'm recommending is not the movies themselves, but the special features that are on the second discs for each movies. They go through the entire history of the Batman movie franchise getting put together and the making of all four movies. And even though I'm not a huge fan of a certain percentage of Batman Returns, and even though Batman Forever and Batman and Robin really aren't what I think of as Batman when I close my eyes, it's interesting to hear how they put it all together and how the studio influenced things, how the directors and the writers and the people who were putting these movies together had one idea and how... (laughs) There's a great bit with uh, one of the writers from Batman from 1989, almost 20 years ago, people, uh, where where he talks about certain plot points of the first film and completely, you know, disavows any participation in them. <laughs> it's just, it's just great. I love that kind of stuff. I'm a, I'm a I'm a big sucker for special features and commentaries and and, and such. So uh, if you can find it, I'm sure it's on Amazon check out the the batman motion picture anthology hopefully you can get it for a good price because i got mine for free it was a gift but yeah yeah that's that's the big recommendation for this week i'm going through them right now and it's just like wow i love this stuff (laughs) i do have one email which uh you know any email i get excites me this is from matt and he writes dear mike Hey, my name is Matt, I'm a young comics fan, and I love your podcast. I actually found it while researching for my final paper of my freshman year of college on comics in the 90s. You know, Matt, if there were courses on comic books, or courses where I could, could write about comic books in college, I probably wouldn't have dropped out when I did no, it was more involved in me dropping out of college than just that. But wow, that's that's awesome, sir. G- g- hats off to you. That's, that's great. Uh, he continues, I wanted to dedicate some of the paper to the death of Superman, and I came upon your death of Superman episode. Uh, how did you come upon that? Did you go to the Superman homepage and find that? Or did you Google it somehow? I'm kind of curious as to how do people actually find the show outside of other people telling them about it. That was a couple of weeks ago, and I've been hooked ever since. I'm a huge fan of Superman. Nightwing, well, I guess Batman now. I haven't read Battle for the Cow, though I did read the Wikipedia entry and was spoiled because I just wanted to know. But anyways, Nightwing, well, I guess Batman now, is my favorite character, but that's because I don't count Superman. So I'm guessing there that Matt is such a Superman fan that it's kind of a given that he likes superman which is kind of the way it is with me uh he continues it's like what they say about batman's rogues you have your favorite villain and then the joker anyway i really value your input and knowledge about comics and i very recently with a little push from you have decided to start reading comics monthly again uh that (laughs) i think i've said this before that surprises the heck out of me because i don't you know i don't evangelize comics uh, you know, I, I, I've always been the type of person that, you know, if people want to read comics, they're going to read comics. And if I push comics on them, you know, the, the chances of them getting into it, you know, they may read that and they may get into it for a little while. But, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that if it's in you, it's in you to do. So the fact that this show has made people want to read comics or check out other comics or get into the hobby a little deeper, uh, that is a side effect i had not quite counted on you know <laughs> i think i've said this before too you know i just do this to amuse myself and entertain myself and, and and as an outlet for you know the thoughts and feelings i have on comic books because it's either this or go on forums and i'd rather produce a podcast. <laughs> Uh, Matt continues, because I keep interrupting. I haven't uh, read comics in about two years. I want to spend this summer reading all the comics I can, new books, old books, catch up from what I when I was away, anything I can get my hands on. I just moved to... I, I, uh... He doesn't really say, I guess, you know, I'm just moved to a new apartment or whatever. So all of my comics are out, and going through them has made me incredibly nostalgic. Even listening to you guys talk about certain stories like Identity Crisis and Hush have made me want to check out, check them out again. And then he gives me some contact information for AIM or Skype and and all that. So And I won't reveal those on the air because, well, he probably doesn't want me to. But But thank you very much for the email, Matt. I'm glad that this show has played some part... And you getting into comics or re-getting into comics and and, uh, and I, hope that, uh, I hope that I hope that don't steer you wrong with my recommendations. I usually don't recommend things except for what I like. so uh, hopefully <laughs> hopefully I don't let anyone down. <laughs> that sounds so bad. It's true though. I mean, I really don't want to say you should read this and then you read it and you think it's terrible because then I feel like I've wasted your time. <laughs> Uh but that's just the Catholic guilt in me, I guess. And that leads us to the Ask Mike a Question segment of the show. I kind of I kind of get the feeling that I should, you know, have, like, kind of intro music to that, or, or maybe, like, you know, record myself saying, you know, you know, Ask Mike a Question and pitch it low with echo, you know, kind of like, Ask a Mike a Question. question. But, you know, that that might be going just just a tidbit too far, which, you know, I've never done on this show, ever. So I've got a lot of questions, so I'm going to get right to them, because uh, this may eat up more time than I thought it would. Uh, The first question comes from BigBallerJuo7, and and his handle on the forums uh, leads me to believe that pronouncing forum handles is an art in and of itself so i'm just going to call him big b not to be confused with big b from the fables comic uh he actually asks two questions but i'm gonna i've addressed the first one pretty much on the uh on the forums as has alaska man so i'm going to just cut to the second one which is what are your thoughts on the return of two heroes in the legion comics if you haven't read it um i i have read legion of three worlds it's a superman book uh, it may say Legion, but it's a Superman book, so so I, I do buy it. I don't get both covers, though. I may have to track those down if I can get them kind of cheap, but because I uh. <laughs> uh, there will be three confessions in this episode. This is the first one. Uh, I buy alternate covers to the Superman books and to the Hulk books. I used to buy them to the Justice Society books, but they got harder and harder to get. And I have not gotten any of the alternate covers to the Superman books for the last year because uh, of the way my comic shop you know, distributes the alternate covers. Uh, I wish I did, but I don't. So, And I don't feel like going on eBay and paying a lot of money for them either. <laughs> Anyways, uh, as far as Legion of Three Worlds, if you have not read it, this is a spoiler warning. I am going to reveal... The big returns from issues three and issue four—it's—it's uh, it's all over the internet. It was—it was pretty much spoiled by DC Comics themselves, you know. A couple days after Legion of Three Worlds number four came out, but just in case you uh, avoid the hype sites and avoid the blogs and wait for the trades and just you know wait for the story to come out, uh, this is your spoiler warning, so you can skip ahead a couple of minutes. But I am very happy that both Kid Flash and Superboy, uh, Bart and Connor, have come back. I lo- have loved both characters since they were created. I collected both of their titles. I-, I do admit that I dropped Impulse after issue 79, I believe, and there's only eight issues after that, which I will get one day. I was just. That was during that weird time where I was dropping books for. Uh, what I thought was, you know, I'm just not enjoying it anymore, and then eventually regretted it, which led to having to look all over the place for Flash number 197. But uh, I have liked Bart and Connor for years. I, I was very pleased with how Teen Titans turned out. You know, Jeff John said in a, in a recent interview with Word Balloon, and I've heard this before, that you know, Young Justice was junior high, and that Teen Titans was high school, and that you change from junior high to high school. I kind of agree with that. Uh, to me, Young Justice was junior high going into high school, and by the end of that series, they were in "quote unquote" high school, and yeah. that Teen Titans was just tra- you know the the rest of the high school career transitioning into them going to college. Uh, in, in either case, you know that, that's just that's just you know armchair uh you know philosophizing on on the the point of a book but jeff johns took connor and took bart and he evolved them he took them to the next step you know i was very happy when bart became kid flash and i loved impulse and i loved his role as impulse but to me it was the next logical step and Connor was put through the ringer in finding out his true origins, you know, and finding out that he is the sum of Superman and Lex Luthor and what that means to him. And the whole Lex Luthor taking over his mind and having him shave his head and such. You know, that that was that was really dramatic. And it made when when Connor died very disappointing, even though in the terms of Infinite Crisis I thought it worked. Uh, it made his death disappointing because it's like you've done all this work with him and now he's gone, and it was very much the same way with Bart. Bart became the Flash because at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths, Wally became the Flash. So now at the end of Infinite Crisis, Bart becomes the Flash, and they you know pushed his new title, and it just didn't work out. And DC backpedaled and they killed the character, and it felt very unnecessary. Uh, To me, not knowing all the the behind-the-scenes stuff, granted, but to me it felt like, man, we've really screwed this up. The best thing we can do is just kill him because we can't do anything else with him because we want to bring Barry back. Okay, that was kind of snarky. But still, that's how I felt, and that's how I continue to feel about it. So having them come back is great. It fits right in with, you know, Jeff Johns has been part of many a storyline that quote-unquote rectified certain Mistakes or maybe bad ideas that that at this point can be undone and not look like copping out. So very happy that both Connor and Bart are back. Krypton Man asks a question, Mike, when did Lois officially find out that Clark is Superman in the mainstream books? As in after this, this was the status quo that led to their wedding. Um, This is where the second and third confession come in. Uh, the first, the second confession being, I actually had to look up the issue number of Action Comics. I mean, I knew it was Action Comics. And usually I can sit there and tell you a specific issue number uh, of a Superman book that was published between 1987 and, and, and to the present, where a first appearance or something big happened but uh this this was a blind spot for some reason and i think it has to do with the fact that between action like 650 and and action 700 a lot of those numbers get jumbled up in my head for some reason so i did go to the superman homepage and found even though i could see the cover when i closed my eyes that it was action comics number 662 where clark revealed his secret identity to lois and told her he was superman which led into her being kind of uncomfortable with it until the end of time and time again which led into superman the man of steel number one and that whole summer of superman awesomeness and that leads into the third confession which is the first copy i had of this book was stolen (laughs) it was another one of those that i ripped off from the orthodontist office because (laughs) because I couldn't find it at Walden Books and it was sold out at the comic shop that I was uh, going to here and there and I just couldn't find it and I couldn't find it and they had it and it's like I really need this book for my collection so yoink and there it was mine so Action Comics number 650 Action Comics number 662 both part of my criminal career as a teenager (laughs) it's so sad Jay Garrett asks, uh, what do you think is the worst example of a missed opportunity in comics, and do you believe consistent characterization is handled as well as it should be in comics today? To uh, your first question, Jay, and, and when I see your name, I want to say Jay Garrick, uh, but, you know, what's up, Jesse? Because I have a feeling that's you, because I'm able to put two and two together there from Facebook and the forums. <laughs> uh my first answer is going to be something of a cop-out. I don't believe in the concept of a missed opportunity in comics. I am a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And my example of that is, it's kind of tenuous, but I, but I think it works, is the Justice Society of America book from 1992 and 1993. Written by Len Strzeewski, with art by Mike Parabek. Love this story, this series to death. Love it to pieces, as I am fond of saying. And it was canceled after issue 10 uh, because either low sales or it just wasn't in with what DC wanted to do at the time or some combination of the two. If that book would have been a success, and if the JSA had become like a force to be reckoned with in 1992, I don't think you would have had Starman in 1994. Might not have happened, you know, because, you know, what James Robinson did in Starman was take these characters that have been kind of forgotten and bring them into a certain uh, sense of prominence. And if you didn't have Starman, you don't have JSA in 1998, written by James Robinson and David Goyer, and then David Goyer and Jeff Johns, and then Jeff Johns on his own. And JSA, and Justice Society of America, outside of some lows here and there, has been consistently the best book I've read in the past decade. Did the Gog storyline go on a little long? Yeah, but at the end of the day, I can't think of another title that that I have liked month after month after month as much as JSA and Justice Society of America. So, you know, there is no missed opportunity. There is just, this didn't happen, but it led to something else better coming along. Uh, as far as your second uh, question, do I believe consistent characterization is handled as well as it should be in comics today? Yes, and that's because you have over it. Uh, Marvel, Brian, Michael Bendis handling the Avengers titles and handle and making sure that all of those characters have a consistent voice. And you have over at DC, you have Jeff Johns on Green Lantern uh, with Peter Tomasi on Green Lantern Corps. You have Jeff Johns on Flash. You have Greg Rucka and James Robinson and Sterling Gates on the Superman books. And because those people are handling those little corners of the dcu sky you know you have over a series of titles a consistent world view and that's really what i like in comics you know for me as a fan consistency is very important i don't want to read three superman books and have one thing happen in this in 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 action comics that makes what happened in Superman comics make absolutely no sense. Should I believe it should be controlled vigorously and with an iron hand? I've kind of relaxed on that. But at the same time, my favorite runs of certain titles have been when there has been one creative voice on them. And sometimes that voice can get tired, but at least it makes sense as it goes along. So the answer to your question, Jesse is yes, I do believe consistent characterization is handled as well as it should be in comics today. All right, Sandman Zero has two questions for me. The first is, Mike, explain Final Crisis to me. (sighs) Okay, let's see if I can do this in less than a few minutes. If you take away the lateness of the book, and if you take away the poor marketing and you boil off all of the venom that was spewed by fandom and by certain comic book professionals, from what I understand as well, Final Crisis is actually a very good story. Uh, When I reread it, I enjoyed it. Because at its heart, it was what a DC event should be. But it was done by Grant Morrison. And Grant Morrison has a different way of telling this type of story. Do I think it should have been handled as its own little graphic novel? Uh, No, and and I'll actually get to that in a second with another person's question. But to me, Final Crisis's plot was that Darkseid finally won. He finally cracked the Anti-Life Equation, which he had been trying to do for decades our time. And the Anti-Life Equation, very simply, is... Faith without choice. The great thing about humanity, apparently, is that we can believe in whatever we want to believe in because we have the choice to do so. There can be multiple religions. There can be disagreements within those religions. There can be multiple political views. And there can be disagreements within those political views. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's our choice to do so. And that's what makes life precious and Darkseid took that away he infected us with the anti-life equation which was following dark side through no decision of our own and the heroes had to fight against that and there was a lot of weird things going on with multiple universes and there was the whole superman beyond story that made sense but i wasn't really a big fan of And he went really metatextual through certain key events of the book. And Aquaman came back, but apparently that wasn't Aquaman. That was the Aquaman of another universe. Uh, But all that doesn't matter. Because the main story was good versus evil. Choice versus totalitarianism. And there's some cute little things. Like when Orion is killed at the beginning of the story... You know, it was revealed, and if you haven't read Final Crisis, uh, I'm not even going to really bother with a spoiler warning because it's been so long. It's been like six months since the last issue came out. But, you know, Orion is killed at the beginning of the story by a gun that fires a bullet back in time. And that's kind of a cool concept when you think about it. And that's where the Flash really played into uh, this particular crisis. But, anyways, he was killed on the first issue... And his body was in this broken crate full of toys. And if you look at what the toys are, the toys are space guns. And that's kind of cute. That's kind of neat. I was very negative towards Final Crisis for a long time. And it's not like I was infected with the anti-life equation. Which is possible, but I haven't seen any Omega symbols lately. But, you know, when I sat down and gave it a really fair chance, I found that I enjoyed the story. So I hope that gives you what you want there, Sandman Zero, as far as explaining Final Crisis. Uh, his other question is, hey Mike, I'm a huge Green Lantern fan, which, uh, Sandman Zero, you'll be very happy with next week's episode then. And I recently purchased a Green Lantern ring. I wear it at most times. The, that thing gets noticed pretty easily, and people know what it is. My question is, have they explained, or do you have a theory, on how Hal and Kyle keep their identity secret when they are wearing this huge freaking ring on their finger that looks just like that ring that their superhero wears. And he kind of goes through a little uh, little skit here. Hey, Kyle, how's it going? Pretty good. Hey, is that a Green Lantern ring on your finger? Sure is. I want it off eBay. Uh, I hope you don't mind me dramatizing that for you. And there is an answer to this. Uh, either the ring itself does it or how and Kyle will it to happen but when they're in their normal street clothes the ring is invisible you know it puts this little thing around itself that makes you not being able to see it if it's there in certain panels i think that's just for the audience but as far as, you know, passers-by on the street or friends or whatever, they don't notice the ring. It's actually kind of like the power battery, which I believe hides in a little pocket of space to render itself invisible and so people can't steal it. So I'm excited. That was a question I could answer with a certain sense of brevity. I, I could be wrong about that. Uh, next week uh, I'll ask the guest I'm going to have on the show, and he can tell me faux show. If I'm right or not, but I do believe that the ring is pretty much invisible until he goes to use it. Final question is from Alaska Man. Mike, I asked the showcase guys this, but wanted to get your take. He is referring to the very awesome 2 in 1 showcase hosted by Blake and your good buddy Chase. Uh, friends with the guys, so always like to give them a little shout out because they certainly do that for me from time to time. Should the big events published by Marvel and DC just be published as original graphic novels? If they are writing these stories for the trades anyways, why publish them as comics? Why not just have monthly comics for done-in-one stories or two- or three-issue story arcs? My answer to this actually is no, because when a big event is done right, it's really, really cool. Infinite Crisis was handled very well. Final Crisis, not so much. I think Blackest Night is going to be awesome. I was upset at first that it was going to be a big event when I was under the impression that it was going to be more like Sinestro Corps War. But given the scope of Blackest Night and all these people coming back from the dead, it would be kind of silly not to have it take place in the larger DC universe. So, no, I, I don't think they should be published as original graphic novels because I think that takes away, uh, for the the books that do cross over into it, uh, I think that takes away a certain bit of fun. And, you know, at, on an economic level, those are kind of hard to sell. I mean, you can sell a trade, because you can have word of mouth from a mini series or an ongoing series, like, wow, that was a really neat story. Hey, you can't find the issues, pick up the trade. I think, personally, it would be harder to sell. I don't think Blackest Night would work well as an original graphic novel, because I think you can do more with the story by having crossovers. And again, they're doing most of these crossovers as separate mini series, so you have a choice. I'm buying most of them, because... That is my choice. You don't have to. I think with Jeff Johns at the helm, all you really should have to read is the Blackest Night series and the two Green Lantern titles. And that's only three books a month. If you're buying the Green Lantern titles, it's only one extra book a month. And if you want to see, you know, the Earth 2 Superman come back and sit at the grave of Jonathan Kent. By the Superman one, and if you want to see how the Justice Society is going to be affected, if you want to see how the Titans are going to be affected, if you want to see how Batman is going to be affected, then get all of those miniseries. Or don't. Again, you know, it's it's it. this is why we are not under the control of the Anti-Life Equation, because we all have a choice. On the other hand, if you do think that they should be in original graphic novels, you know, there's some validity to that too. I'm just... Not in that camp as of right now. And that does it for this week. Next week, I will have Thomas DJ on the show of DJ's Comics Cavalcade and Better in the Dark to talk about some Hal Jordan Green Lantern books. Uh, Thomas is a very big fan of the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, and I have a certain amount of affection for the character that I have rediscovered lately, so that should be... fun. Until then, you can find the home of Views from the Long Box at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com There you can find the RSS feed, the iTunes link, you can leave comments on the episodes, you can email me at michael at viewsfromthelongbox.com There is a link to the forums and a link to the Facebook group as well. You can also find me over at fortressofbailey2.com, though I've been kind of quiet over there because of the other podcasts that I co-host from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I do that with my friend Jeffrey Taylor for the Superman homepage. And what we do there is starting with Man of Steel number one in 1986, and going all the way to Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006, we're going to cover just about every issue of Superman that was published, and that drops every Thursday. Speaking of co-hosts, you can check out my semi-regular co-host, Shag Sites, at onceuponageek.com and firestormfan.com. And I always remind you at the end of these things to check out my sponsor, InStockTrades.com, because when you support them, you support me in a roundabout way. Uh, As I said, next week we've got Green Lantern. I've got a Shazam episode coming up uh, that's percolating in my head. Shag and I are going to be teaming up again at some point. And I also uh, hope to have a very old friend of mine on the show. His name is Chuck. Uh, not the Titans Chuck, but a different Chuck who did work at Titans, uh, if that doesn't confuse you too much. But I'm really looking forward to getting him on the show. Until then, I hope everyone has a very nice Memorial Day weekend, if you are in the States and want to celebrate that. Views from Longbox is a Fortress of Bailey Tude Production. Copyright 2009. Thanks, everybody, and I will see you next week.
1: a question question.
0: no that's not going to work that's not going to work ask Mike a question no that's that's definitely not going to work ask Mike a question wow that's like the unicron version of that isn't it (laughs)